Broadcasting live from an undisclosed location in the western foothills, you're listening to Open Ears, Maine. We want to hear your pandemic stories. To call in, dial area code 515-602-9747. That's 515-602-9747. The phone lines are now open. Welcome aboard Riviera and to your cruise vacation with Oceana Cruises. This beautiful ship is the newest addition to our fleet and was built to exceed our guests' expectations. She was christened with much fanfare in Barcelona. Television chef Kat Cora is godmother of Riviera and was on hand to break the traditional bottle of champagne against her hull as part of the gala naming ceremony. Whether this is your first, 10th, or even 20th cruise with us, our friendly staff, crew, and officers are here to help as you get to know Riviera, your home away from home. Welcome to Open Ears, Maine. It is Tuesday, June 16th, 2020, a seasonably hot day here in eastern Oxford County with a gentle northwesterly breeze, just enough to keep the bugs at bay. On today's program, we'll be discussing the motor vessel Riviera, a 785-foot luxury cruise liner tying up all the way down east in Washington County At the breakwater on the island city of Eastport, the vessel arrived two days ago after spending the last two months at anchor in Miami Harbor, occasionally entering the port of Miami, Florida, to resupply, and then came to Eastport. First, we'll hear from a fellow who goes by the name Nate Shaw Rick, who, upon my request, went to downtown Moose Island a.k.a. Eastport, to ask locals what they thought of the cruise ship, which, according to the CDC, had at least one passenger with COVID-19 during a voyage this spring. Then we'll speak to Chris Gardner, the executive director of the Eastport Port Authority, about the decision to welcome the vessel down east, despite the ship having just departed Florida, where, in case you haven't heard, closed their restaurants and bars today, one week after reopening, because of an increase in coronavirus cases. I'm your host, Crash Berry. Do you listen to true crime podcasts? If so, please check out my podcast, Devils in Dirtbags, a 13-part investigation of the child-molesting priest of Springfield, Massachusetts. You'll hear about a suspected murderer priest, the lone suspect in the murder of a 13-year-old altar boy that he allegedly had been molesting. Plus, you'll hear about a child-raping bishop who disappeared under the cover of darkness. Visit devilsanddirtbags.com or download the podcast wherever you download. Be warned, it's a very sad and sordid story. Now, the numbers. 
According to the Maine Center for Disease Control, nine new cases of COVID-19 have been reported today, bringing the statewide total to 2,829 Mainers who have been diagnosed with the virus. 101 residents have died with COVID-19, and 2,233 have recovered from the coronavirus. As for Maine's reopening plans, yesterday, Governor Janet Mills announced that restaurants in Cumberland, York, and Androscoggin counties will be allowed to reopen with table service. Also, the governor has further relaxed regulations allowing bars, breweries, fitness centers, nail salons, and tattoo studios to reopen, provided they obey state guidelines. In other COVID-19 news, Canada and the U.S. have agreed to keep the border closed for another month until at least July 21st. And today, in the state of Florida, coronavirus numbers have sharply gone up. 2,783 more cases were reported this morning, almost double the number of reported cases for the previous high in Florida set back in mid-May. Why should this matter to Mainers? Well, Florida opened their restaurants and bars last week, but shut them down again today because of the increased number of COVID-19 cases. I shudder to think of all the wasted food purchased by the restaurants. Plus, I feel sorry for the workers who are now going to have to re-enter unemployment hell or purgatory, depending on how long it takes to reapply and get benefits, which got me thinking about the logic of purposely inviting a cruise ship to tie up in a community with an aging population and limited local health care. However, as many people already know, Washington County has been, and is, perhaps the most economically depressed part of Maine for over the last century since the early 1900s, when the sardine industry was mechanized and put a whole bunch of East Porters out of business, and the local economy still hasn't recovered. There is a financial incentive, however, for having the cruise ship tie up in Eastport, according to locals, because each day the owners of the vessel, Norwegian Cruise Lines, is paying $1,570 to the Eastport Port Authority for the privilege of parking their ship at the breakwater. That being said, though, the cruise line, Norwegian Cruise Line, like many in the industry, is experiencing extreme financial trouble and is currently $2.7 billion in debt, and there's some talk of the company not being able to survive the COVID-19 pandemic. I lived in Eastport for five years and have a soft spot in my heart for Washington County. My novel and film, Sex, Drugs, and Blueberries, is set down east, and I really like a lot of people living in Washington County. That's why I reached out to a couple folks. Coming up, we'll hear from Nate Shaw Rick, our on-the-scene correspondent, and then Chris Gardner, director of the Eastport Port Authority. Riviera was built with your convenience and comfort in mind. 
The grand staircase is the centerpiece of every ship in our fleet. The amazing glass elements of the grand staircase here on Riviera were created by the famed crystal artisans of Lalique. The idea was to create a foyer or the grand staircase and it has to be the ultimate luxury. It was the main centerpiece of the, uh, the cruise ship. So we had to make sure that it was just perfect, exactly what Oceana stands for and what Lalique stands for as well. The Grand Staircase is located on Deck 5. Nearby, you'll find reception and destination services where you may book shore excursions. Our concierge is also found in this area. These helpful and knowledgeable Oceana Cruises professionals are at your service any time of the day or night. Just a few steps away are a selection of boutiques and shops where you'll find everything from sundries to dazzling jewelry to logo and designer clothing. Welcome back to Open Ears, Maine. Joining us now is a fella called Nate Shaw Rick, a resident down east who spends a lot of time in Eastport and the surrounding communities. Nate Shaw Rick, you've been talking to locals on Moose Island. What's the response been to the arrival of the cruise ship? Well, uh, I got to admit, I mean, the general consensus is just kind of as of now, it's only been one day, a little over 24 hours. They got here Sunday early. Um, and it's basically, uh, I don't give a ship, you know. Right now, it's a novelty, and people are just coming down and gawking at it and taking pictures, getting selfies with it. It's like a, some sort of attraction, you know. As of now, you know, everybody I talk to just doesn't seem to be bothered by it. So there's no worry about COVID-19 coming ashore? Uh, and, you know, once we realized, once we found out that the cruise ship was going to be, uh, there's a possibility that she was going to be birthing here, um, there was definitely, you know, an outrage uh, regarding the I, I believe that there was like a, a case of COVID on the on the ship, and uh, yeah, that was the, that was part of the whoa, what's going on here? You know, you're really bringing the ship here. You know, we almost closed down 190 to people coming in. You know, to protect ourselves from this COVID business. But once you know the people sold the town on uh, birthing a ship here that had COVID on it, uh, everybody's like, oh, the town needs the money. They sold the town on the on the whole uh, uh, restructuring of the uh, collapsed breakwater. I guess they still owe money on that or something. I don't really know the numbers or anything, but... Okay, so let's unpack this for a second here. First, for the listener that doesn't know, Eastport is at the end of 190, which is the state road that leads through the Passamaquoddy Indian Reserve and then goes out about seven, eight miles to Eastport. You're saying that there was yep. talk of closing down 190 to protect there, Moose well, Island from COVID? Absolutely. When the coronavirus started hitting and the bars were still open, you'd sit around the bar and they'd be like, we got to close off 190. we got to close it off, you know, and protect ourselves. Well, it was like vigilante thing? Yeah, I mean, there was, there was actually kind of some sort of vigilante uh, understandings, but, you know, these people, I mean, they did. I don't know if you understand what they did to Sabayig, the uh, Passamaquoddy Reservation out here. They uh, closed it all down. Every entrance minus each key entrance to each part of uh, the reservation is... Um, uh, you know, absolutely no, residents only, do not enter, no trespassing. Big yellow signs. Uh, and that was basically what uh, the, the townsfolk were, were considering around the bar, you know, once COVID started kicking off. That never happened, though. But once the cruise ship came to town and they got sold on, uh, you know, oh, okay, it's going to bring the city money, then everybody kind of just, like, changed their minds. 
this idea of it bringing the city money is kind of a, a, a odd idea. The uh, breakwater where this ship is tied up is actually owned by the port authority because when the collapse of the breakwater, yes. Exactly. Since the collapse of the breakwater, the Port Authority's owned it. Of course, there's a huge debt. It would cost $15 million to build this breakwater. But the reason why there is that debt, and I think this sometimes gets forgotten, is that the city of Eastport let the insurance on the breakwater lapse. So there was no insurance. So that's why the feds came in, and that's why they had to float those loans, is because there was no insurance. And as someone that lived in Eastport five years, I got to admit, yep. that doesn't surprise me. Absolutely. You understand it, and probably as much as anyone here, Crash, uh, the, 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 the bizarre politics of Eastport. <laughs> well, I lived there for five years, and I got to say the thing that I, I liked the most about it was how there wasn't much hustle and bustle, you know, except for the 4th of July and, and the two festivals, the Salmon Festival which is mm -hmm. an homage to the farm-raised fish that literally, as we speak, poisons Passamaquoddy Bay and, and poisons Coppers Bay. And then the Pirate Festival, except that pirates never came to Eastport, except for the ones that are there now. So how will this cruise ship impact Eastport's usual laid-back vibe? As of now, again, Crash, um, it's only been here for one full day. So that's yet to be seen. Businesses are starting to open. They're, they're having their strict uh, CDC guidelines, uh, uh, restaurants opening. you got to wear a mask and stay six feet apart, all that nonsense. The ship, as of now, is just a novelty. It's just something that, you know, everybody's like, oh, my word, look, a big cruise ship. I work in Portland, Maine, as a uh, pedicab operator during the cruise ship season, which is September and October. And so it's not a novelty to me. It's just like, you know, these things... <laughs> I'm more. I'm impressed. They're an impressive feature, but they're even more impressive when they leave at the end of the day. And I have a few couple bucks in my pocket. Is there any uh, yeah. smell, sound, noise, anything like that? Has there the breakwater is. changed at all? Okay, what's the what's that the like? The breakwater has changed. The breakwater now um, has Jersey barriers, and they have uh, round-the-clock security down there. As I was pulling into town earlier, we had a uh, wind from the right direction, and uh, I could smell the diesel from the engines. Um, there is a general din of, um, of from the generators. You know, a lot of people kind of don't really, I guess, me, I don't know, take it for granted or something. I don't know. You know, I, I'm used to, you know, I live here because I enjoy the, 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 the music of nature and such, you know. And now that this behemoth is here, it's uh, changed things. I would say especially the music of nature down there because of the squawk of gulls, the wind. The tide rushing in and out, for those that haven't been down to Passamaquoddy Bay or Cobscook Bay, the tides are mm -hmm. amazing. The currents are amazing. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of people come down to the breakwater uh, to do mackerel fishing Whether when the mackerel start to run. When does that happen? I'm trying to remember. When do the mackerel start running? Uh, that should be popping off any minute now. The AOI run just is about to end, um, and usually that coincides with the, the mackerel schools that will come in, uh, along with the krill, which um, feed on the plankton. The whales, of course, will come to town here, not before too long here. Uh, you can sit on the breakwater and watch uh, minke whales breach around the clock here now. They, they're not just out the head harbor. You can watch them from the, from the breakwater. And that is something to me that is one of the, the major setbacks or drawbacks of uh, having the cruise ship there clogging up all that uh, valuable uh, real estate for the public, you know. One of the last nights we were in Eastport and we were living down in the south end, we could hear the whales from shore. 
you could hear them breathing and exhaling. And it was a really amazing experience to have that. So now there won't be any mackerel fishing. Is that what's, is that the word? Cause there's a ship in the way. You can still mackerel fish, but you don't just have the uh, real estate to do so. The breakwater was, you know, 400 feet. The ship is 700 and, you know, it's almost twice as big as the breakwater. So there's no real estate there for you to park your car, get yourself a Rosie's hot dog, go down there and, and, and reel in four or five fish at once, you know. Um, now you got to go to the fish pier, which is right, right next to it. But, you know, again, there's just not enough uh, space, especially in this age of social distancing, for people to... Uh, actually fish that to me is probably the biggest setback of this whole cruise ship situation um you know some people are making money off the cruise ship obviously the city and you know i'm sure some of the boys are skimming down the line and to the detriment of the public you know what's the general response been to covid19 locally were people taking social distancing and wearing masks seriously absolutely up here i guess i don't know what the median age is but it's somewhere in the 50s of course, all these old-timers are very concerned for their health, so they all wear masks, and um, I don't wear a mask personally. I refuse to wear one until, <laughs> probably never, but we'll see. And when I go to the stores, nobody questions me or whatever, but I hear other people uh, say that, oh, my word, I got, you know, I got uh, reamed out at the store because I wasn't wearing a mask or whatever. No, they might they might be looking for a fight, you know. To me, so far, it's just been nothing but um, no. everybody just goes about their business. The, the IGA, of course, uh, you know, you can get like 50 people in there, I guess, uh, but there's never really 50 people in there anyway <laughs> at <laughs> once. The COVID-19 thing is, um, it's definitely here, and but it's not as, I, I ima- imagine, as pronounced as it would be in the megapolis, uh, you know, outside of Down East. When we talk about the old timers there, that median age is probably up in the 50s there. There's very little health care on the island. In fact, there's very little health care in Washington County. Callis Hospital is on the verge of shutting down. So I imagine if there was a COVID-19 epidemic in Eastport, everybody would be headed to, I guess, Bangor for the hospital. Well, I'll tell you what, now that we have a cruise ship here, it seems like we have a uh, floating FEMA camp, in my opinion, you know, so <laughs> we'll see. Uh, people live here and are born and raised here. It's just like a, a regular course of things that you, you have to drive two hours to Bangor to get proper health care, arguably in Bangor, you know. And people that move here, if they don't understand that they're moving to a place that has like uh, the limited services like that, then they, they didn't do their, do their research properly. Let's talk about the IGA for a second. Are the employees wearing masks there? Most of the employees are. Sometimes they don't. Um, They do have the plastic barricades up, which to me is kind of funny because because you have to go get cigarettes and and liquor in a little uh, specific uh, area. So all all of them go over there uh, to get them. But then they start to yell, you know, like, hey, can you, you know, while you're over there, grab a pack of Newports, you know, but they don't hear them because there's these barricades in the way, these soundproof barriers. So it, to me, it's like kind of just like, uh, it, it doesn't make sense, you know? I don't know. Have you noticed if, at any time during the pandemic, have you noticed that the shelves were running out of items? Uh, other places you may Absolutely. The beginning of the pandemic, yes. Everything, you'd go there and um, the shelves would be bare, the vegetables would be uh, bread bare. Obviously the toilet paper, because for some reason that was just pitched to people and everybody went out felt they needed to pamper their asses more than eat food. Any increase in prices, did you notice? Yeah, meat prices, of course, are all up. 
just as they are elsewhere, I guess, from what I hear. You know, hamburger meat, you get, you know, make a couple burgers for five bucks now, it's like ten bucks. Besides that, you know, you can go to Tide Mill, uh, just south of here on Route 1 and get, uh, you know, pay that price and get, like, quality meats. Tide Mill Farm yeah. uh, is an excellent organic farm. You should always buy your meat locally anyways, right? As a Absolutely, hunter. yes. You mentioned that you you didn't wear a mask. You don't wear a mask. Can I ask why you don't wear a mask? I don't wear a mask, Crash. And uh, because, to me, um, it's a psychological thing. You know, to me, it seems like uh, they kind of just pitch that idea and people just kind of bid on it. To me, uh, you know, the I can't breathe thing and wearing a mask and everything. Like, I'd rather manifest something where it's like, you know, we're up here in Down East Maine. You know, we're not, again, in in the New York City or the hot spots, you know. So th- there's plenty of fresh air to be breathed here. And uh, the the breezes are, are consistent and fresh and they blow, you know, I like to think that they blow all the, the madness away. And um, I'd rather manifest uh, an understanding of um, of just, you know, if, you, if you're if you disease prone or, or, you know, prone to illness and if you're uh, around people that are perhaps, um, you know, prone to illness, then yeah, wear a mask. But I don't think healthy people should be wearing masks. To me, it, it, it doesn't make sense. It's a psychological thing, and I think that that's to the to the detriment of uh, our freedom. You know, I'm not going to fight you over this, but I think there is a little science that shows uh, whether we talk about the pandemic of 1918 or uh, the yeah. COVID-19 uh, that mask mm-hmm. wearing can reduce the spread of the virus. When we look at the ship coming in from being at anchor in Miami, the port of Miami in Florida, mm-hmm. is a COVID-19 hotspot with the resurgence of cases. Does that worry you at all that a ship from a place where COVID was prevalent comes up to Eastport and then there's going to be some interactions with people on the ship, whether it's quarantine or not, there's still supplies yeah. and things like that. Any worries about that it's coming from Florida? Me personally, no. Um, but um, it's, you know, the hypocrisy is, uh, is, is, is here, you know, like the folk that are definitely afraid of the COVID, you know, because they watch the, uh, the newscast and the social media, uh, bombardment of, um, you know, we're all going to fucking die anyway, but besides that, uh, you know, we, we might die from this freak virus, this invisible enemy. Well, another thing to point out is that a quarter of the coronavirus cases in Maine, over a quarter, are affecting healthcare workers, and that people of color are at least 20 times as likely to contract coronavirus in Maine because they're often working what we call essential jobs, frontline jobs, cleaning nursing homes, cleaning hospitals, cleaning and working in uh, the food industry. So, I mean, I I hear a slight conspiratorial bench to your take on it, do you acknowledge that for some segments of society that this is a real threat? Yeah, for people that um, have uh, pre-existing conditions and people that, um, you know, that typically are afraid for their health to begin with, yeah, you know, so wear your masks and uh, and take proper precautions and actually get somebody to go grocery shopping for you if you're afraid to get sick. But otherwise, you know, there's no way that we can all go about life um, being afraid to die and, and be sick, you know. They know humanity, we're, we're, we're a healthy species, you know. Uh, we, you know, well, we're a dying species. Damn empire is under threat right now. But um, we need to uh, also, as much 
as many people want to just subscribe to the whole uh, the, the guidelines and this and that from whoever the, the varying uh, agencies are. We also need people of of, of the art, artistic folk who um, kind of question all that, you know, and uh, and not think that like life is dangerous and life is um, going to kill you. You know, of course life's going to kill you, but you know you got to take the ride, baby, and live it up, you know. But I don't think wearing a mask and, and being afraid to die and getting sick and all that is a good way to go about living life, especially if you're a young, healthy soldier in this world. When we talk about the people working on the front lines, I think especially nursing homes, and we know there's a nursing yeah. home in Eastport and there's a nursing home in Callis, and that there mm-hmm. are people, uh, low-wage earners, working their shitty jobs in those places, I, I'm just, <laughs> yeah. I'm more concerned about that, but I got to be blunt. I'm more concerned about the workers. Yeah, the essential workers, which I give plenty of kudos to, the folk at the IGA, Christy, and um, all of them up there, they should be wearing the mask, you know, because they're going to be in constant contact with people coming and going. That makes more sense than every other person wearing a mask that, that's coming into the place, you know. And if you're concerned about your health and you think you're going to get some sleep, you know, and another thing is you see people go in and buy fucking three packs of cigarettes with their mask on and they go out and start dragging a bunch of butts, you know. <laughs> it, it, it's, a psycho, it's a psychological thing, you know. It's psychological. If you think you're going to freaking die and you think the world's out to get you, then guess what? Yeah, that's what's going to happen. But, you know, to me, it's a we get one shot at this and, you know, live it while you got it, baby. What about the rest of the businesses in town? What's actually open on Water Street right now? Is Wadsworth, which is the nation's longest-running hardware store. Wadsworth is open. They're, they've been selling masks and, and um, you know, uh, what's that ointment called you squirt in your hands? Hand yeah, sanitizer. Yeah, sanitizer. There you go. Yeah, they've been selling that, you know, just like biting, biting on that like everyone else. Selling your gardening needs, um, you know, uh, your shakedown uh, hardware product basic stuff that you, otherwise you would have to drive to Ellsworth to get at Home Depot or something. What other stores are open? Uh, the restaurants just started opening up. Uh, Happy Crab just started opening up. It's, uh, I just went there yesterday. It was, a, it was, oh God, it was depressing. I got to say, sorry, Happy Crab. What happened? The psychological thing with the mask, you know, it's like, yeah, you can walk in. Well, the bar is completely shut down. So, and every table is like six feet apart. And, you you know, they, they tell you, like, you know, you have to walk in and wear a mask, but when you sit at the table, you can not wear a mask or whatever. So, to me, it's kind of like a walk of shame thing, you know. It's like, yeah, like, are you on our team? You know, are you wearing a mask or are you not? It's just another division. You didn't even you didn't even wear a mask to go in the happy crowd, you're saying, because you don't wear a mask. I covered so my face with, with a mask when I walked in and asked Nicole. I'm like, hey, I don't know. I don't know the protocol right now. You know, I feel like this is my first time. I feel like a virgin going to a restaurant, you know? <laughs> <laughs> was the Happy Crab selling beer to go during that time period when uh, the state said restaurants could sell uh, liquor to go? They were not. They no, nope. Nope. They were closed completely down. The old town next door, though, he was owned by Pam and uh, Buzz, um, native folk out to Sibayig. Um, they uh, they were uh, doing the takeout and, and selling beer, I believe. I never bought any beer, though, so I, I don't know for sure. Are there any other businesses? Is there a dollar store now? Am I remembering that correctly? Correctly, is there a dollar? Yeah, there's store a now? Family Dollar, right where the old Irving was. Yeah. Do people actually shop there? What What do they sell? Do they sell oh, food yeah. there? Oh yeah, you go in there and they, uh, yeah, they sell like you know your basic uh, packaged processed goods, all your regular odds and ends trinkets, you know, toilet paper, of course, 
$5 for a 12-pack of Angel Soft, which is my favorite toilet paper, uh, if your listenership wants to know. Um, <laughs> I hope I get sponsored by them. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, I mean, I mean, honestly, Crash, it's uh, we're, we're far removed up here. The only real understanding that anybody up here has of what's going on in the crazy world is um, we're real hard in Corona and uh, the riots and this and that. Is via social media and the media and all. But we're far removed up here, you know. Have you seen any cops wearing masks? No. I, I mean, I, I try to avoid cops, so. <laughs> no, I didn't see any. I see cops, so there's plenty of cops around, but they're being lenient. What about the library? Has the library been open? The library has just opened up for curbside service. They just, they actually, uh, when, the, when the virus took off, um, they said that anybody had any uh, outstanding materials can just keep them until they open again. They opened up the uh, Dropbox, you know, uh, not too long ago, and then now they're doing curbside service. So they're gradually, they're graduating into like opening the library again. Sounds like uh, life is kind of starting back up down east. But I want to get back to this cruise ship issue. And you mentioned yeah, that yep. dur- during uh, the early fall, you go down to Portland to uh, do a pedicab. I have a a rather negative take of the cruise ship industry, uh, mostly from a labor perspective. I know that many of the people working aboard these ships are from developing nations. They're paid terrible wages. The working conditions are horrible. The crew gets really screwed over. And yet this particular cruise ship has like Ralph Lauren all over it. You know, that's what they promote themselves as, as a very luxurious cruise ship. My concern over this is that so many times I've seen shysters come down east thinking they're going to be able to pull the wool over the local rube's eyes and rip them off. And many times they have done the very thing is rip them off. Maybe it's because I don't trust multinational corporations, but it feels like the cruise industry or the cruise line, Norwegian Cruise Lines, is taking advantage of esport and its poverty mentality any thoughts on that? That is the uh, gut feeling I have, Crash. Um, you know, I feel like, uh, you know, they could easily dock in Portland or Bar Harbor where they have regular ports of call. They could dock in, you know, elsewhere and everything. But for some reason, to take advantage of perhaps probably the cheap berthing, it's probably cut rate up here. Um, I don't know for sure, of course, but I imagine if you, you know, I'm sure you can imagine as well, you know, you get cut rate shit up here in Eastport. And, um so, yeah, I think that that's part of the uh, situation. And I have to uh, say here, if you're going to be talking to Chris Gardner, um, I heard uh, through some of my um, field reporting yesterday um, that they're even considering now that they already have, uh, they you know, they have this ship passed through and it was approved by uh, Governor Mills and, and, and the state and such. They're going to try to get more cruise ships up here, make a little more money. Another thing is that I'd like to uh, also touch base on before I forget here is a lot of the people that I talked to, um, they were concerned not mostly about the cruise ship, but about the people that have to be uh, quarantined on the cruise ship. It's like, uh, because right now, as of now, they're not allowed to leave the cruise ship at all, despite the the, the two-week quarantine, CDC guidelines, et cetera. So a lot of people are definitely concerned, and they want the people to come and enjoy the uh, you know, town life, and, and et cetera. That's actually been on the, uh, the the priority list of a lot of folk that I talked to. Um, You're saying that people are concerned about the sailors quarantined on the ship not being able to come off. 
Would you think that uh, those sailors need to get tested before they can come ashore? Well, I would think that that would probably be a, um, you know, I mean, the CDC guidelines say the, the quarantine. They've already been on the ship sailing from Miami uh, for, you know, three or four days. You know, two weeks, but yeah, I think that, you know, just to be sure, because this is such a vulnerable community, we're, you know, we're at the end of the, the world here, I think that testing would probably be a wise thing to do before they let anybody off the boat, but I think they should let, let the people off the boat, and pretty much 100% of the people I talked to, um, that was one of their main concerns. Hmm. It just seems like uh, testing would be essential uh, before introducing people who've been down in Florida to the community. And I'm not sure that testing uh, exists uh, right now. Well, I mean, you know, they said that, I guess there's IDEX or some someplace, some outfit in Portland, that, that pet, the veterinarian uh, outfit, I guess they had some tests. And so they upped the ante to 7,000 instead of 5,000 or something. I forget the numbers, you know, I, I'm not a good numbers person, so don't quote me on any of this, but, um, you know, you, yeah, you would think that this cruise ship coming up here, that they would they'd take precautionary measures prior to it docking as opposed to just being blinded by, uh, you know, getting some money. It requires a certain amount of trust of the cruise ship industry. And I got to be blunt. I don't trust the cruise ship industry. I mean, why is a, why why are they registered in the Marshall islands as opposed to the United States? And uh, luckily they were rejected, but the cruise ship came with their palm out looking for federal aid right away. You know, I mean, I'm out here in the field and engaging and, and, and catching it all just as it's coming in here. But no, I, I those are thoughts that, that cross my mind as well. Um, just goes to show the power of money, you know. I, I wrapped with a guy who's 88 years old um, out to the dump, and um, he was hard of hearing, so I was yelling at him, and he was yelling back at me, you know. And I'm like, so, you know, what, what do you think about the cruise ship? And he said, I don't give a shit. And that's pretty much the uh, the general consensus of uh, of many of the town folk as of now. You know, it's a novelty still. It's only been one day here. Maybe you'll want to follow up a podcast a month or down the road, mid hurricane season for whatever it's here. You know. Well, thank you, Nature Rick. I always want to know what's going on down east, especially on Moose yeah. Island. Well, give me a call anytime, dude. Well, I'm I'm your friendly neighborhood field reporter. Red Ginger, our Asian specialty restaurant, is also here on Deck 5, featuring delicious Thai, Vietnamese, and Japanese dishes. As is Jacques, our French bistro inspired by the cuisine of our executive culinary director, Master Chef Jacques Pepin. By the way, there's no extra charge to dine in the specialty restaurants aboard Oceana Cruises, though reservations are required. Forward on Deck 5 is our Broadway-style entertainment venue, the Riviera Lounge. Just one deck up, the grand staircase leads to one of the most vibrant areas of the ship, Deck 6, where you'll find our inviting martinis lounge and bar, the Grand Bar, and of course our Monte Carlo-style casino and casino bar. Both of these venues are conveniently situated close to the spectacular Grand Dining Room, where a gracious dining experience is yours daily at breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Welcome back to Open Ears, Maine. Joining us now is Chris Gardner, director of the Port of Eastport, and the fellow who negotiated the deal to bring the cruise ship Riviera to Eastport to tie up for the foreseeable future. 
Welcome back to the show, Chris. I'm hearing reports that the cruise ship Riviera is using a ship's generator for power, and and when the wind blows just right, downtown Eastport is reeking of diesel. Is that true? I guess you'd have to find out who said that because I'm struggling to find anybody who would agree. Okay, so you're not. It's not using generators for power. No, no, it is using generators, but uh, you know, I've heard uh, the reports of reeking of diesel. But the reality is that's, uh, I think, more hyperbole than it is truth. So are they using the ship's generator for power, or are they using a, a shore generator? What are they using? No, it's ship's generator. They're what's on called uh, hotel power. The ship is effectively completely shut down. It does not run its engines while in port. Uh, it doesn't generate uh, power that way. It has a subset of generators. It's, it's just one that they can run that allows them to power just one section of the ship. Now, people look at a ship that size and think, my God, what would it take to power a ship of such? But that ship is only only has 131 crew members aboard, so they're not powering the whole thing. They're only powering the section, and they're doing it by one generator. And I will tell you that any one scallop dragger that starts up in the bay is 10 times louder than what that ship is emitting for sound. So why aren't they using a shore tie? Isn't there a shore oh, we don't have that tie? Eastport. We don't have those at the Port of Eastport. You have a $15 million breakwater with no shore tie. That's correct. We have shore ties for for smaller vessels, but not a vessel of that size because, well, it would have taken a $18 million pier and probably turned it into a $21 million pier. It's quite an extensive investment, and there's a lot of liability when you're running shore power of that size. Yeah, I was in the Coast Guard. I've been to plenty of ports up and down the eastern seaboard. Every port I've ever pulled into has had shore ties for power, and you're trying to market the port as a sure. cruise ship destination, yet you don't have that. So every time a ship comes in, you're saying they have to bring their own power. They do. They stay on uh, They stay on generator. That's correct. What about wastewater handling? How does that happen? Uh, we have uh, hookups right there at the pier for that. CHT and fresh water is available right there at the breakwater. So are they paying the city of Eastport for wastewater treatment? Yes. When they, if, if and when they hook up, they haven't done so yet. I anticipate that they will soon. Um, they're here for, you know, a two-day trial just to make sure everything's going to work before we attach to any shore, shore ties, if you will. And, um, you know, once they get through that 48-hour period, I'm sure we'll uh, hook more directly into fresh water and CHT. Okay. How much does the Port Authority stand to make on this deal, and is there a contract? Um, it's really not the Port Authority, if you will. It is the harbor. And again, uh, Crash, you kind of remember the way things work. You got the inner basin down there, and the Port Authority manages that. Um, but we—that is a dedicated revenue account. In other words, what the harbor makes, the harbor keeps. So all the 100% of the net dockage proceeds from this vessel is going right into the fishermen and that harbor account. And that's going to help us, uh, you know, service the debt on that facility. Because quite honestly, for all that we do at the harbor. And it is a service to, you know, all the different community sectors that use it, the fishermen, tourism, you know, uh, recreational boaters, et cetera. The uh, Port Authority still subsidizes that account by seventy dollars or $80,000 a year from our operating budget to help pay the bills of the harbor. I've heard rumors from Eastport, and again, that's why I'm calling you. I want to confirm or deny these sure. rumors that there's plans to bring more cruise ships to town. Any truth to that? We would, uh, we'd love to. Um, we, we have put ourselves out there that if there's something else that we can do that makes sense, is safe, is reasonable, um, if we can utilize our other facility at Estes Head. You know, Eastport is very blessed to not have but one, but two cargo-rated, uh, com- you know, cruise ship-rated piers. 
and you know for a community that lacks in a little we have an awful lot when it comes to that uh, to that area so if we can and it works and it makes sense uh, we would not be averted to that at all so why isn't this cruise ship at the Estes Head Pier as opposed to downtown well right now that this is the best suited it's you know first in best uh, best and highest use and right now if we don't if we only get the one we certainly wouldn't want to take the risk of uh, interrupting our cargo operations up the backside. You know, granted they are down, but we are still getting cargo vessels on a monthly basis. And if we can avoid it, you know, as my grandmother once said, don't go borrowing problems. You don't have to. If we only have the one ship and we have the one spare pier, common sense says put it at the spare pier first. And because uh, otherwise you just run the risk of, you know, potentially running afoul of, uh, the cargo operations, which supports not just the Port of Eastport, but Washington County's largest employer, which is the Woodland Mill. I got to say, I'm living down here in western Maine, so I'm far away from Washington County. But I got to say, I'm I'm kind of skeptical that this is a good deal for Washington County. You know, in fact, it smells like many of the deals that have come and gone to rural Maine, where scam artists target low-income regions to take advantage of. We've seen that happen many times. I can say the Millennium Marine debacle in Eastport over the last couple of years with that boat building firm. And now there's word that Norwegian Cruise Lines, who owns the ship tied up to the breakwater, is in financial trouble with over $2.7 billion in debt. And they're worried they're not going to be able to survive the COVID pandemic. How do you know you're going to get paid and not left with debt like the Millennium Marine debacle did to Eastport? You're comparing apples to oranges there. And it's a you know, it's a good comparison for, for hyperbole's sake, but the reality is the Millennium Marine was not a Port Authority operation. I can't speak on behalf of what the city does, but the Port Authority is a revenue-funded organization who, you know, deals in, you know, different business ventures in the maritime world and has done so for over 40 years and done so very successfully. So, you know, we, we certainly aren't the city. We aren't the come and go of uh, councils that change. You know, we have to make sure that we operate in sound practices because we're a business that has to make sure we survive. As far as Millennium Marine goes, you know, that's been well litigated over the years, and that was an unfortunate situation. But for us, I mean, we have taken a look at Norwegian's position, and there's been, you know, much to do, much to say about the cruise industry in general, and they are facing their own financial troubles, as a lot of different businesses in many different sectors, including many hours right here in Maine, are wondering how they're going to survive. But from the port's perspective, it's not figuratively. We literally have the asset tied up. So, you know, and I being slightly facetious here, and I have no concerns for it in the contract that we have signed with Norwegian, which went to our admiralty attorneys and making sure that we were well covered. But the reality, again, being the fact that we have the asset literally tied up, you know, it's a 55 or $60 million vessel. Heaven forbid somebody goes to a bankruptcy or something isn't paid and somebody owes me a couple hundred thousand dollars in docking fees. I'll put the Oceana Riviera on Craigslist and see if I can get my money back. What about security at the head of the breakwater? I hear there's sure. now Jersey barriers and there's some uh, rent-a-cops there. Who's paying for that? Sure. It, it's not rent-a-cops. There are port security staff that we use uh, for regular and normal operations such as this. And the security setup for those who've been to Eastport is very similar to what we've done for the past you know, 30, 40-plus years as it pertains to the Navy when they come in. Uh, it's the same type of security you know, set off. And those are the Port Authority uh, employees, and uh, we're paying for that, and that is being charged back to the line, and they're covering those costs. In addition to, how much are they paying a month for this? 
They're paying $2 per foot per day. And without the advantage of a calculator and exact footage of the ship in front of me, I'll let everybody at home, you know, pencil out that math. But, um, yes, that's in above and beyond the $2 per foot per day. Okay, there's a 785-foot vessel. Uh, I just sure. noticed on the Port Authority's website, it said that you can handle vessels up to 750, uh, so this is a little bit longer. Um, does that come into play at all uh, with the situation? It's a longer vessel than you were built for? No, it, we put 750 on there because we want a, you know, a fudge factor, if you will, and, and just make sure that we don't – the old adage, you always want to under-promise and over-deliver instead of the other way around. So when it came to this vessel, it is one of the largest, if not the largest vessel we've ever had at the facility, but a lot of care and concern. And we, uh, Noah recently, probably five or six years ago, just recently updated all the soundings. We knew the depths. And also with the extension of the breakwater back in 2017, we actually built 50 feet further out into the ocean. You know, we gained a little bit on our depth. So with all of that, um, you know, we took it, took a look at it, took the ship specific, and laid it in there, and uh, it is, you know, well within our, our capacities. The other thing, too, is that vessel is a cruise vessel, and everything that we predominantly plan for or engineer for is on the cargo side of the house, which are considerably more dense, more heavy ships. But confirming with our engineers, um, to give an idea, even though that's a vessel of great size, you know, physically, by looks, by its presence, that vessel, they figure, is only about 65% of the pier's rated capacity as far as being able to hold a vessel. I've also heard reports from folks that when the Border Patrol boarded the vessel to swap papers with the ship's officers, no one was wearing masks, no one was wearing gloves. I know in an earlier press release, the Port Authority said that uh, the CDC recommendations and the governor's recommendations would be followed, which would mean there would be mask wearing. This ship has just come from the Port of Miami, correct? That, that is correct. So they were on the hook, on the anchor down in Miami for months, which is a well, COVID-19 hotspot. So well, have the let, ships... Let's, let's, let, let me rephrase that, though, okay. Chris, before you, we get too far down the road here. Um, the vessel just left Miami, and it's been coming into the port of Miami to reprovision. But the reality is nobody's been getting on and off the vessel, and nobody's been getting on... Uh, excuse me. Nobody's been getting on the vessel. They have disembarked some crew who have eventually gone home. But nobody's gotten on this vessel for well over 70-plus days. Oh, there must have been a pilot to leave the anchorage in, in Miami. And just like yeah. there was a pilot that went aboard in Eastport, and then just like uh, Border Patrol went on in Eastport. So there is interactions with people that have been recently in the port of Miami, which is a COVID-19 hotspot. And the reason why I bring this up is because we had you on the show uh, over a month ago, and you were eager to reopen Washington County and other rural counties because there's no COVID. But now... There's a, a ship that had at least one person on it who eventually tested positive for COVID. They're coming from a COVID-19 hotspot. As far as I know, the ship's officers and crew have not been tested for COVID. Uh, no, they. but more importantly, I think it's a note, in, and I would refer you to Dr. Shaw in his press uh, conference where uh, Don Kerrigan specifically asked him about this cruise ship coming to Eastport and about the parameters around such. And these are Dr. Shaw's words, not mine, uh, Crash, when he said that, you know, testing is great, but what they find is even more of a uh, of an indicator is whether or not anybody's shown any symptoms in a previous 14-day quarantine. And again, don't take my words for what Dr. Shaw said. I would encourage you to, you know, YouTube that right up, take a peek at it. You're not concerned that there's possible asymptomatic carrier who wouldn't be showing signs? After 70 days? 
and also the fact that the CDC just come out and spoke of how uh, how uh, de minimis the chances an asymptomatic carrier could actually uh, transmit the disease. Based upon the totality of the circumstances and the level of care, control, and concern that goes into the pilots, because that is a one specific person going on or off a vessel. It's not like you know the uh, you know the protests around the country or something like that. This is one person going on and off a vessel in a very very controlled manner. So with that, uh, no, I guess I don't have, you know, share that concern. And I will say as much as we put a very negative connotation onto the vessel, and which is kind of, you know, disheartening when you consider the fact that it almost looks as like because they're not American, we don't want to help them. But the negative connotation that we put on these, uh, these poor individuals on the vessel that somehow, you know, they're the dirty ship dwellers, when the reality is, these cruise lines are probably the cleanest place on the face of the planet right now. And I dare say they're cleaner than my living room or your studio. If you look at the care, concern, and control that goes into them. The workers on that ship are treated poorly. The ship is registered. And, and you know, I'm obviously I, not I a fan I mean, of the cruise line industry. They're registered, in the, Marshall, they're registered in the Marshall Islands. Their company yep. came out with their handout as soon as possible for a COVID-19 bailout. Luckily, we didn't give it to them. But historically, labor conditions on those ships are terrible. And also, that particular ship is like a Ralph Lauren-type ship. So it's an extremely expensive cruise line to go on, and they treat their workers like garbage. And they have over $2.1 billion in debt. It just seems like a sketchy deal, especially since it's the city of Eastport is getting into bed with them. The city of Eastport just voted on uh, the city council. Uh, all but one voted in favor of it. How does this deal benefit residents? That's what I want to know. How does this oh, deal that's benefit? Oh, a great question. I'm glad you asked that because the breakwater, when it collapsed, um, the city owned that. The city taxpayers owned that piece of property when it collapsed, and the more, and the port authority was simply managing it on their behalf at their request. So we were managing it, and the morning it collapsed, you know, we went to the city manager and the city, you know, city hall and said, okay, a lot of things are happening here. Let's first thing, let's talk about insurance. And the city taxpayers through the city hall notified us that, well, six weeks before the collapse, they stopped paying the insurance on it because they couldn't afford it. So the Port Authority was left with a big hole in the ocean. The city didn't have any money to pay, didn't even have insurance on it. So that's incompetence but, right there, right? So the city of Eastport was I incompetent. I want to set the stage here for you, Crash. Yeah, okay. So you, you asked the question. I'm going to try to get to it. So here we were with, you know, the, the city's iconic breakwater. It's community center. Literally, it's fallen into the ocean. The city didn't even have enough money to pay the insurance on it, let alone see it rebuilt. So that's when the Port Authority, you know, we, we finished and taking, taking the facility over at their request. They turned it over to us once it was a hole in the ocean and said, could you, could you kindly rebuild that for us? So we did. We rebuilt it. And the Port Authority put, you know, about $2 million worth of cash in it, which, again, it's a revenue-based account. So that had to come out of what we had, you know, made for our own existence. And we put it into the harbor, which we get not a, a single cent of annual return on. In fact, we continue to subsidize it. So in putting in $2 million at 0% return annually, you can see it takes a long time for us to get that money back. So as a result, we rebuilt the facility and opened it back up to the public and to the fishermen and to the transient boaters and, and all that may use it. And we continue to pay and service the debt that it took at the local level in order to get that rebuilt. And the city taxpayer, the local, you know, local Joe in Eastport, Maine, who owns a place down on, you know, Key Street, he pays zero, zero property tax dollars for the upkeep, the build, maintenance, anything to do with the breakwater. The Port Authority pays for that. 
and with you know through the harbor account, and again has to subsidize it because harbor operations can't pay for it. So what we're doing is we said, okay, we're going to bring this ship in, and what we're going to do is we're going to offset or outsource, if you will, um, some of the payments. We're going to take Norwegian Cruise Lines money, and we're going to turn that into payback money on this on the debt that this community owes on this facility. So we're taking 100% of the net proceeds of this uh, docking of this boat, and we're putting it directly into the harbor account for the sole purpose of paying off the localized share that it took to build it. Now, the Port Authority, none of this ignores to the, uh, the Port Authority's bottom line. None of it. It goes right into the harbor account. So I know there's been much to say, and there's been a lot of people who have a lot of things to say, but um, the reality is it's just not true. And the other piece about it, which bears noting, is that I know there's been a vocal few that have raised their concerns. But if you look at it on the whole and objectively, the city council voted four to one in favor. The Port Authority voted unanimously in favor. The city council, uh, excuse me, the uh, Chamber of Commerce uh, endorsed it. The downtown business committees endorsed it. So as, as much as it says that people in Eastport are up in arms about a cruise ship, the reality is the facts just don't support that narrative. I'm not even saying that people of Eastport are up in arms. In fact, I just talked to a fellow who was out scouting, asking people for opinions for me on behalf of me. And most people were like welcoming it. Like they think it's yeah. a good idea. But I'm looking at it from this witness perspective here. I understand what you're saying that you guys are using this to pay the debt service off, but I want to point back to that if the city of Eastport hadn't been so inept and corrupt to let the the insurance payments on a a major piece of the infrastructure, then this wouldn't have happened, correct? So it's the city of Eastport's fault. I agree with you in that regard, but I would simply say that your fight in that regard is not with the Port Authority, because remember, the Port Authority is not under city governance as far as, quote unquote, city hall. Then why did they have to approve this deal? The governor's office, out of an abundance of caution, wanted to get the city council's opinion. They didn't necess- I don't know if they necessarily had to approve it. I mean, it was, it was framed as such. But effectively, the governor's office, because normally the governor's office doesn't even have anything to do as it pertains to these cruise ships. Because, again, as a former coaster, you know, these are maritime activities that are governed by the United States Coast Guard. These are these are federal maritime activities. But because of the unique times that we live in, the governor's office in their 14 day quarantine and the captain of the ports want to, you know, be a team player and make sure we're all on the same page, deferred to the governor's opinion as well. And then the governor punted on that opinion a little bit and said, "Okay, well, ask the city council what they think, too. We'd like to have their opinion before we make our final decision on whether or not we're going to tell the United States Coast Guard that we're okay with it. So that's why it was there. It was a matter of a courtesy to get the city council's opinion. I think the state somewhat struggled to understand the fact that the Port Authority, under state law, is a publicly elected board of directors that has the same power and authority to represent the people's interest as a city councilor does. They're elected in the same process by the same electorate body, etc. But again, I think the state, and I appreciate that, we're in, we're in interesting times. They, they just wanted to doubly make sure everybody had been asked, and they put it to the city council to ask their opinion. If the city council had said no, 
I don't know what the governor's office would have done, but they didn't. They said yes. It was definitely an agenda item that they voted on officially. And also to bring that up, isn't one of the city councilors the wife of one of your board of the Port Authority, Bob Peacock, who's a nice guy. I'm not dissing these people. I'm just saying, and the same thing with Dean Pike, who's on your board and is a very nice guy. It it just kind of reeks of conflict of interest. I mean, the the city council shouldn't have voted. I got to tell you. You're talking about a city, okay? We talk about the city of Eastport. It has 1,200 year-round residents in it, Crash, okay? 1,200. And half of those people are, you know, apathetic to what's going on. And, and the other half, I don't know. So it, as it usually turns out to be in a small town, and anybody out there is in a small town, they're going to sit there and shake their head and say, you know what? He's right. There's usually a handful of people who do a lot of the work. Doesn't make it right. Doesn't make it wrong. Just makes it real. Now, but to that end, I, I think as much as you say, I mean, it's like, you know, I've always been told that everything said before the word but is not true, right? So, I mean, we have to be careful. We say, well, he's a nice guy. The truth comes after the word but. I would, I mean, I would caution you to say that, you know, that, you know, infer that, you know, what you think, you think Dean Pike has got a nefarious bone in his body? No, not at all. I'm just saying from appearances as reeks of inside no deal. It does. It does. That. We know Eastport has a long history with weird things going on. I mean, uh, do I have to bring up Bud Finch and all that? I'm just saying, I hear what you're saying. The small town, the people that are active are active. It just looks a little weird. But I hope this works out for you. I'm serious. I, I hope this works out for you and that I, I hope that there's this doesn't backfire. But i got to be a cynic, and I'm sitting down here in the foothills of Western Maine watching this and saying, yikes, I don't trust big corporations. I don't trust the cruise industry, and I'm worried that you guys are going to get stuck, and I just hope that doesn't happen. Well, no, I, and I appreciate that. And just know, Crash, and again, you, you, you know, you and I are friends, right. and you know that, right? So, and we, we love to debate, but you know, you know where my heart, my heart of hearts are. And I will tell you that, look, I, I was, I'm just as skeptical, because I have to be by the position that I'm in. I have to be skeptical. People, people, you know, are, are, Everything I do is magnified by 10 and, and, and looked at 15 different ways. And you're going to have sidewalk you know, engineers and Monday morning quarterbacks and all that. So trust me, I didn't go in this, you know, all haphazard and, you know, Roy Rogers and let's shoot the place up. Right. Absolutely not. I mean, there's a lot that goes into this. And from the port's perspective, we're not the city council. Right. We're not city governance. We don't have the luxury of sticking our hand out every April and saying, and I'm not saying this about Eastport, it's about any community. Every April, we stick our hand out and say, hey, we made some mistakes last year. Give us more money or we're going to take your house. Right? Because that's how property taxes work. doesn't matter how much we screwed up. We need more money this year. And if you don't give it to us, we're going to take your house. But we're not that. From the port's perspective, we're revenue funded. If we don't make money, we don't exist. So the decisions we make have to be wise, smart, well thought out. I've got to think 15 steps ahead or I'm not thinking one step ahead. So I get it. Trust me, this wasn't an easy decision to make, but it had to be a creative one because look around us. I mean, you're, you're over there in Western Maine, Southern Maine, all of it. We're seeing it, right? There are parts of Southern Maine that, you know, as of today, just got back open. I mean, there are a lot of communities out there trying to figure out now with the Lobster Fest canceled and Jazz Fest canceled and, you know, Blue Hill Care, uh, Blue Hill Fair canceled. All these communities are out there saying, how do we get through this summer with less? Because that's what we got to do. 
And I said, you know what? Here we are in eSport. If we're smart, if we're careful, if we do this right, if we recognize that we have a God-given asset in our water location and our peers, we have a chance to do something with more. We have a chance to do something with more. We're going to be one of the few communities in Down East Maine, I would say on the coast of Maine, that's going to look at the summer of 2020 and go, you know what? We got something we didn't have last year. And it's an opportunity. And in these times right here, we can what if things right to death. But I think this is an opportunity. It's a chance. We've got to be smart about it. I think you're absolutely right. You're asking all the questions right now, Crash, that I had to ask six or eight weeks ago. So it's not like you're asking the wrong questions because you're asking all the right ones. But just know we've already asked those questions. I'm going to have to trust you, Chris, but I'll tell you, this sounds a lot like socialism to me. <laughs> well, it can't sound like socialism, Crash, because you'd love it. Deck 14 is a great place to soak in the rays and rejuvenate your mind and body. Start your day with an invigorating walk around the sun deck, followed by a delicious, authentic Italian coffee drink at Barista's. The well-stocked library is nearby, as is our Oceana at Sea Internet Center, where you may check your email or find out more about your next port of call. Forward on Deck 14 is the inviting Canyon Ranch Spa Club, designed and operated by the experts at the famed Canyon Ranch Spa. Revitalizing treatments and healthy lifestyle advice are available by appointment. And our light and healthy Canyon Ranch Spa Club cuisine is served in restaurants throughout the ship. Adjacent to our spa is our private spa deck, and nearby is a quiet spot known as the Sanctuary, the perfect place to relax or catch up on the day's activities. Get fit at our expansive fitness center or jumpstart your fitness routine with one of our personal trainers. And before you head out for the evening, let our professional hairstylists and manicurists pamper you at our full-service salon. Aft on Deck 14 are two of our most popular specialty restaurants, including Toscana, featuring authentic Italian recipes and an amazing selection of olive oils and vinegars. Next door is Polo Grill, a classic steakhouse featuring dry-aged beef and seafood. Nestled in between is Privé, a truly special private dining enclave available by reservation for up to 10 privileged guests. Tucked away on Deck 15 is Horizons Lounge with an amazing 180-degree panoramic view. This is the perfect place to meet friends or just get away from it all. If you haven't experienced afternoon tea aboard Oceana Cruises, this is the cruise to try it. Our chefs work diligently for days in preparation, and the result is a range of true culinary delights. Looking for outdoor fun? Deck 15 and 16 offer everything from golf to croquet, paddle tennis, and even bocce ball and shuffleboard. Now that you know your way around the magnificent Riviera, it's time to enjoy your Oceana Cruises vacation. Our Country Club casual lifestyle makes it easy. Every stateroom, suite, restaurant, and public space was created with your comfort and satisfaction in mind. Once again, thank you for joining us. Have a wonderful journey. Thanks to both Nate Shaw Rick 
and Chris Gardner for their views on what's happening on the breakwater in Eastport. By the way, I did the math quickly on what the cruise ship Riviera is paying the Port Authority. It's two bucks a foot, according to Chris Gardner, per foot per day. She's 785 feet long. Actually, the Riviera is 784 feet and 0.95 inches long, which means about $48,000 per month, which is about $10,000 cheaper per month than what the cruise line would pay for the same berth in Portland. We want to hear your pandemic stories. Also, if you have a tip about a helper or a heel, a saint or a con artist, drop me a line, crash at crashberry.com. This season of Open Ears Maine is winding down. We have a couple more episodes for you, I think. Next time, our special musical guest will be my friend Dave Gutter, the Maine rock icon, and his very cool and very smart daughter, Connie, to talk about the COVID pandemic, the Black Lives Matter protests, and more. Plus, we'll listen to some live tunes played by Dave Gutter. Looking forward to that. So until then, viva la revolution.